0: Hey, welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast. My friends, excited to release episode fifty two to you and uh, my good friend Mike Morrill, that I did not know prior to this podcast other than just following him on Instagram and having a little bit of communication through the hunting industry. But uh, if you follow him, I'll you know I'll tag him and all the stuff here so you get a chance to. Mike is a bubbling stream of positivity. just, always over the top with positive messages. He's always working out. I mean, always working out, no matter what he's doing. He's pouring into his family, he's pouring into his business, and he's always bow hunting. And uh, I've just been following Mike for a long time and was really excited to get a chance to just interview him and chat with him for a little bit and hear a little bit more about him. He's got just a really, really neat story growing up and some hardships he's overcome and the lessons that he learned in that have you know really served him well in his in his uh in his life now with his own family and um, dreams and endeavors and entrepreneurship um you know type things he's doing so i hope i think you'll get a really um i think you get a lot out of this podcast just listen for the hidden nuggets and uh, i think you'll really really enjoy it so thanks mike for jumping on and and sharing more positivity and sharing your message with uh with all the fit archer podcast listeners so i appreciate it very much i want to thank our sponsors Again, I do this every intro to the podcast, but Well-Built Supplements, uh, my good buddy, they just they make some phenomenal supplements. I'm a supplement junkie. I've been using supplements since 1993. I love them. I think they're very important. I use them for health. I use them for recovery, for energy, for performance. You'll find the best with uh, Well-Built Supplements, and you can just you dis- use discount code Well-Built-JP, Well-Built-JP, and get 15% off. Just look them up at Well-Built-Supplements.com. He's also got kettlebells. He's also got Kettlebell training program. Um he's launched some other really neat things too, so check them out. Phoenix shooting bags, my good buddy Anthony Stallone over there at Phoenix shooting bags. If you don't know what these are, they're the lightest most durable shooting bag in the industry. So if you do any um long range rifle hunting or any rifle hunting at all, the way that you balance out your rifle and get a good sturdy rest is uh, is important to get a good ethical clean kill and the shooting bags are incredible. Like I said, they're so light. You don't even know you got them in your pack. And you can get a 15% off by using discount code fit archer save 15% off. So just go to phoenixshootingbags.com. I think they got some good deals going on. They got a lot of different colors. They got a lot of cool stuff going on around the Christmas season. So make sure you check them out. And then my good buddy, Anthony Schmidt, he was on episode 51 and some other episodes as well. We talked about his uh, Schmitz and Giggles cookies last week, but partnerships I have with him are lacrosse archery. He's the general 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 Manager at Lacrosse Archery, um, an archery shop that I trust. I used to work at, and uh, you know, if you're looking for a new bow and you don't have a bow shop to go to, and you're looking for some expertise, you can go. You can contact Anthony via. Just contact him through me. I'll hook you up with him. He'll give you a hundred dollars off a brand new bow, and he'll throw his custom strings. He builds Schmidty Specialty Strings. He will throw one of those on there, so it's a hundred seventy dollars value for free. So you're literally getting two hundred seventy dollars off on a uh, on a bow. So if you're looking for that and some just amazing expertise. Contact him. You know, hook me or contact me, and I'll, I'll get you connected with them. Um, and then his strings, Schmidty Specialty Strings. You can go to ssstrings.com and get a 20% discount off the strings. All you got to do is really um, go to the website, look at all the different colors. He's made over a hundred thousand custom strings. They're the strings on every single one of my bows, and I get one to two new bows every year. Because I like to tinker, not that I'm very good at it, but I just like to tinker and play and shoot new stuff. Um, you look at the colors. You tell me the make and model of your bow and what colors that you want, and uh, he'll make those, and you'll get a 20% discount off those strings. He'll drop ship them directly to you. So got some good deals, good partnerships. You know, we're coming around the Christmas season, and uh, it's always such a uh, you know I hope I hope you all um, the listeners get as much out of Christmas season as I do, and um, you know, when you're writing cards or writing letters or Merry Christmas, make sure you're not just signing X-M-A-S. You know, put the Christmas, spell the whole word out, because as you as you look at it, you'll see that you're spelling Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, Christmas, Christmas. And the Christmas season is to really celebrate the birth of Jesus, my Lord and Savior, and, and uh, He's done so much in my life that it's not even comprehensible to explain all of it. But if you ever want to know more about him and a relationship with him, man, I would love to share that with you. That is, that is um, probably that is that is what I've been put on this earth to do. And uh, so I hope you get a lot out of the Christmas season. I hope it's just a God-filled, family-filled, fun-filled, dear friend-filled, food-filled, holiday season that you have. And uh, at the end of the day, just remember that uh, Lord is all. Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord over all. So God bless you, God bless our country, and God bless your Christmas season. Enjoy the podcast.
1: You are listening to the Fit Archer podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time.
0: Well, Mike, you're live on the Fit Archer podcast.
1: So I appreciate you having me on, JP. Well, Looking forward to
0: it. Yeah, I'm. I'm honored that you took time out. Um, I've been trying to get you for a while because you are, you're Mister Positive, you're Mister Outdoors. You are. You represent what fitness and what archery is all about. And gosh, I couldn't wait to get you on. Now it's you know I'm, I'm like, Mike, is this convenient? And you say you're hiding in your truck right now. So this is <laughs> this is good good times, right?
1: Hiding from the barking dogs is all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's so. funny you say that. We have three dogs. I've never wanted dogs. And so this will tell you who runs the family. Um, right. We moved to Arizona. I didn't want a dog and we got one. And then I didn't want another one. We got two. Then we had three. <laughs> and literally today, literally, not even, let's see, 47 minutes ago, my wife walked in with a fourth dog she just rescued from the pond.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow.
0: So, they're out in the kitchen trying to get them all used to each other. So, if there's a little ruckus and barking on my end, that's just the crazy life I live. But I wouldn't trade it for the world.
1: That uh, sounds good. Raw works for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, man, I'm I I'm really excited. Um, I thought about this all day. Like, I got so many questions for you. I got like a whole list of stuff I want to just... Question you on and and where you come up with the energy you come up with and just your life and all that kind of stuff. So if you don't mind, maybe just kind of tell the listeners, you know, you and I don't know each other. We talked one other time. Um, and we can chat about that a little bit. We've communicated back and forth on you know Instagram, which social media is really cool for that. But other than that, we've never met each other. I just I only know you through Instagram and, and know you for what you stand for in Instagram. So if you don't mind, maybe tell like the listeners you know who you are, where you live, you know growing up, what was that, what was that like and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Sure, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I, and just uh, just like you, I've, I've always admired you from afar. And through social media, I love love the content you put out there and, and what you represent. You're a, a faith-based individual that works hard and, and cares about a lot of the same things that I do. So it's uh, it's an honor to actually get to spend a little bit of time with you today. So thank you for the opportunity. You bet. Well, so, uh, so me, I am uh, one of 13 children. I'm number seven, uh, if you can believe that.
0: Dang, you, know, you had to be tough, three, didn't you?
1: I did yeah I did yeah if you if you wanted to get noticed you had to either be crazy or nuts or uh or speak up or be exceptional and I tried to do a bunch of all of that so anyway uh hopefully one day it'll serve me well uh and continue to to be a blessing and that, and this opportunity course is is no exception to that so um yeah I grew up in a big family uh my my Dad used to take us deer hunting on the weekend, like a lot of people, you know, back in the, I guess it was the '80s at this point. Um, I, I'm 48 years old, so uh, I've uh, kind of grown up as a hunter, an outdoorsman. Um, even though we did more of like weekend camping type stuff, we didn't, we weren't real hardcore, so to speak. I, I picked that up on my own because I just loved it so much. But uh, grew up in in that kind of environment and lived in mostly in the state of uh, Utah my whole life. Um, I did serve a a two-year mission and taught uh, Christianity to Buddhist people in the country of Thailand. Um, So that was an amazing experience, and I I loved that. But other than that, I've I've lived in different places here in the state of Utah, which I also love very much. So Um, that's a little bit what other questions you have and i can fill you in
0: well let's talk about you growing up growing up in a big family did um you said your dad hunted did did like do you have brothers i mean you have brothers and sisters or brothers or sisters What, what do you have what's the mix
1: so it's it's actually seven and six so uh seven seven boys and six girls and yeah so pretty evenly mixed and then we actually adopted one more so my parents had 13 biological children and then, and then we adopted a little girl. Um, and so really seven and seven, um, but, uh, seven boys and seven girls. So, uh, yeah, growing up in a big family was, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I didn't know anything different. So, uh, always someone to tease or be teased by and and always, uh, always good friends, you know, close by too. So it was great growing up in that crazy household and, and, uh, I loved, loved those formative years. I've got four children and a grandbaby. Um, two of my, my two oldest are married. So, uh, little, we're a little smaller than, than what I grew up around. But, uh, yeah, I grew up, like I said, in Utah mostly. And my dad was, uh, he actually died pretty young. He died at 45. So I was only 13 years old. Oh, so, man. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a challenge. Of course, uh, I had to grow up real fast, you know, at, at 13 years old and, helped my mom out, and that that too became a blessing to um, to be able to serve her and and uh, and the rest of my family as one of the older uh, young men in the home at that time. So, um, that's got to be quite uh, a shock
0: at that age, that big of a family to lose your dad that early. Um, that's yeah, that's that's pretty tough. Like so, family. What what was it like? I don't mean to get too personal or anything like that, but what was it like? from, you know, before when your dad was there to when he, how did life change?
1: Well, I mean, he, he, I, he worked a lot. He had a lot of mouths to feed. So that was one thing. Um, he, he sold, uh, sold life insurance and, um, I like them already. Type. That's what I do. <laughs> oh, <all> right, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you understand, but, yeah. uh, but that's what he did. And he had a, he had a big team of, he had about 120 agents that worked with him and were on a team that he built and, uh, So he was, uh, he was always doing motivational, you know, sessions. And back then it was the old, in fact, we had some of the first, they didn't call them camcorders at the time. They were basically video cameras. Um, When they first came out, we had VHS and, and all the VCR stuff early on because he would film these presentations he would do. And so even at a young age, um, i had the opportunity at six seven eight ten years old to get up in front of these groups of hundred plus agents and do push-ups or do pull-ups or do <laughs> ten push-ups my dad was always trying to help motivate us to uh, he would always say you know mind over matter you know it, it does you know you can get past this pain for just a little bit and then there's a reward you know and you get me a red cream soda or you know, buy me, a, buy me a Big Mac or something that, you know, that was a reward for, for that effort and for performing and, and, to, and showing his team that even this young skinny kid, you know, could be motivated and do hard things. So, so I grew up with that mentality and my dad would always remind me of that. And that's something that stuck with me and I think just always been a part of who I am and, and uh, has, has helped serve me as an adult and a father myself as well.
0: Well, that's evident in, in what I watch you do on Instagram with your, your training and stuff that you do. I mean, you know, sometimes you, you think, and I, and I know my, my oldest boy is 16 and I'm, I'm very easy on him. But I can be, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, I make him train hard. Um, and, yeah. I, and I push them and it's because I know they don't know what they don't know um, right. and you know you can tell them a hundred times like man if you just once it's all done once your high school ye- years are done and if you're blessed to go on to play college anywhere you know once that's done it's done and every single male athlete I know will all say the same thing like ah oh, if I could have just done more you know yeah. I, I would have but I can't because I'm an old 46 year old broken up guy now because of that but I'm, I'm after them all the time and I, I am because just like what you're dad did with you it stuck you know you might not think it sticks when they're saying it you know but Mm -hmm. or at least i hope it's going to stick and i hope it's going to stick with my kids that you know hard work pays off It, it really there's just no shortcuts in life you know shortcuts just don't get you anywhere
1: yeah you're you're exactly right and i as an adult you know i've learned more and more and more and i i continue to try and surround myself with people that think that way and and you know i've always enjoyed um you know, watching other people succeed because of that hard work. And that's something, you know, I think you can teach it. I don't think you're born with it. I think, you know, I mean, we all have unique talents and gifts and abilities and, and, uh, and we're all here for a certain purpose, you know, whatever that is as individuals. But one thing that we all can do is put forth our best effort. And, you know, we could decide that, that no matter what it takes, I'm not going to give up. And I don't think you ever lose just because you maybe get defeated as long as you don't quit, Right. Just leave it out on the table. You put forth your best effort. You're, you're winning no matter what the scoreboard says, because you are better today than you were yesterday. If, if you're putting forth that kind of effort. So that's the way I look at things and the way I run my life, my business, my, you know, everything around me is, is in that light. Uh, As much as I can control
0: Well what other options Really are there You know my wife and I Had a huge Just a huge change A few years ago Just a drastic change In our life And people ask us All the time Like well how did you Just make that change I'm like well what else Were we going to do Like just roll over I mean Yeah we're only given so much time here like you said we all get different gifts and talents god is amazing he's the best artist he's the best gift blesser and blessing giver in the world ever obviously you know um, because yeah, he is yeah. he is everything um so you just got to take what he's given you and, and make the best of it and i i've just always i've never found somebody that isn't rewarded by working hard and i don't mean grinding to the point where you tip over and die and you're grinding only to make money. I mean, just, you're putting forth the effort after something that you you really desire, you know?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that the older I've gotten, and as I look back, you know, I, I, I can't bring my dad back. I mean, I, I certainly missed out on a lot of things, not having him there, but I also feel like, um, those challenges and those other things, those hardships that not only, you know, me, but my, my mother, especially, and my siblings that we went through helped build strength and character and experience that we had to be tougher. We had to, we had to learn how to grind because nobody was going to do it for us. We didn't have, he actually didn't. Ironically, he'd had a heart attack at the age of 42 and was, and had, uh, was a diabetic adult onset diabetes. He just wasn't taking care of his health. And, um, and so that ultimately took his life and because of those health issues he'd had a few years before he lost the life insurance and the insurance stuff that he had and he had to you know kind of um try and get some high risk stuff that didn't cover much and it was so really we we just didn't have much and uh and so I'm used to and was used to earning you know if I went to school dance or I mean out of a job I had to work I had to get creative and try and figure out how I was going to pay for that new pair of shoes or, you know, there wasn't anybody to do that for me. So I just learned that, you know, I can count on the, the sweat from my own brow and, and that I have control over. And so that's just something that even at a young age that I learned, you know, I used to at 10, 12 years old, I was out, you know, finding golf balls and trying to sell those at the golf course or, you know, selling baseball cards or just doing different things to try and, uh, make up for that gap where I didn't have anybody that was opening up their wallet and you know handing me twenty dollar bills every time I turned around. Man,
0: I just think like, how did your mom make it with thirteen kids? Now, did yeah, she go, Did she go back? to I mean, was she working prior to your your dad uh, passing, and then did she go to work after?
1: So she was not. She did. She did some consulting. I mean, she was very very smart, very very intelligent um, but she'd never really worked professionally. I mean, she, she, her dream was to be a homemaker and that's what she was. And she was amazing at it, you know? And so, um, she did some consulting work for my dad's, uh, basically one of his top employees took over, um, and, you know, kind of kept things running. And so she was able to do that for a few years, but she never really had a career, outside of that she actually she passed away about 10 years ago from Lou Gehrig's disease so she was 68 and um and so uh you know she really through her adult life I mean she never got remarried she she had no desire to you know be be with anybody besides my dad and so um yeah she was just a just a saint on earth no question about it
0: well 13 children you can't really be anything but a homemaker can you imagine the daycare bill
1: yeah, yeah, right. my yeah,
0: I, <laughs> be, <laughs> be a lot of money. I mean, I, I just you know, God bless single moms. I say this all the time. Uh, women are just so much tougher than men. And people, totally. men, are, you know, I know guy listeners, male listeners are gonna be like, Oh blah blah. I'm like, whatever, man. I get sick yeah. and I'm down. I get a cold and I'm on the couch for two days, can't move. My wife gets a cold and she's doing laundry, cooking dinner, taking kids everywhere. I'm like, man, <laughs> I just wish I had your toughness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I
1: try and be pretty tough, but yeah, I can't. You know, uh, having babies and doing some of the things that that my wife's had to do and that my mom did. Yeah, I, um, you know, happy where I'm at. I'll just yeah I'll just take this. I'll take this deck and and the hand I've been dealt here. So,
0: so. do you guys have a um, very close family still? Your your brothers and sisters. Do you guys still get together on any kind of events?
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah, we, do. we have a Christmas party every year and, and do we get together every other Thanksgiving. And, and you know, so we do that with the holidays. Um, Fourth of July, um, we've got a lot of kind of pre-planned family things. We're pretty supportive of each other, you know, going to each other's, you know, kids' plays or um, special events, baptisms or anything religious. Uh, you know, we try and really support each other um, pretty strongly. At, and yeah, I, I would say we're, we are we are still very close and you know how it gets as you get older even if you don't see one of your siblings for you know, i have a few that live out of state i have one actually that lives down in peoria arizona so i try and get down and see them every so often too i know that's probably not too far from where you're at
0: no and you know you need to plan that around january don't you because that's yeah, the arizona go. hunt and they're about to do oh, away with I that know. they're about to do away with that over-the-counter archery hunt mm. any any time it- it's crazy
1: so, there's no pending announcement, though, that it, like 2022, it's still still safe. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's still good for this year. Um, there's some, um, do you follow From Brian Wins? Rimza?
1: I don't, but oh, I'm gonna know.
0: Yeah, yeah, follow him. He's the president of the um, Arizona Trophy Animal Club. I don't know the exact name of it. So, he he works quite a bit, seems like he doesn't work for Game and Fish. I think he's in law enforcement. Um, mm-hmm. Big-time hunter. The guy kills. They, they had a phenomenal year. He killed a giant bull. His wife killed a great bull. His dad killed a great bull all archery this year. It was pretty cool. Wow. Um, but he has been working in, looks like Arizona Game of Fish was open to some proposals of mm. what they should do. And it's it's pretty interesting. I listened to Brian on two different podcasts basically saying the same thing. He, he came up with two different proposals. One was a threshold, meaning oh. um, kind of like how we do our mountain lion and bear. So, you know, each unit's got to have a check-in. So what's happening, basically the whole story of the reason they're getting rid of it is, is, I don't know if you heard this, but Arizona Game and Fish had paid a couple influencers. And and they're getting a ton of slack for this. Like, there's a lot of the general public that are very upset with it. And, you know, I I don't want to say anything about it because I just always know that every um, Game and Fish department and every state is in between a rock and a hard place you know, trying to manage that, trying to make enough money to keep the state going. You know, they're, they're just, they got a very, very tough job. Try to keep everybody happy from the trophy hunters to those that just want opportunity. All right. And, you know, I know that they were trying to, um, market arizona but some influencers got paid and then all of a sudden a result that looks like the result of it is we're losing some over-the-counter units because um, wow. success rates are too high well the way that brian explains it is when they send out the hunt survey card you know when you get done with a hunt you know i'll get a survey yep. card if i got turkey you know did you shoot a turkey did you wound one and i can't remember the exact numbers you can hear him on he was on Jay scott's podcast
1: And he was also
0: on uh, John Stallone's uh, Days in the Wild podcast. Yeah, I listened
1: to a bunch of both of theirs.
0: Yeah, basically said the same thing. But it was like, if 34,000 hunt survey cards are sent out, they only get 6,000 back that people actually fill out. And so then they have their own model of how they try to figure out harvest success and Rimza says they're overestimating the harvest harvest success so what's happening is oh. people find out about let's say unit 22 okay let's just throw that out there so, or just an, an example they they find out about mm-hmm. unit 22 and there, there's some success in unit 22 and then they get the the uh, survey cards back and it's they don't get them all back, so they have to overestimate. So they find out, oh, 22 was over It was a harvest success of 25%, which is anything above and beyond that, they have to shut it down on an OTC hunt, basically. And so then mm. everybody moves to unit 21 because it's right next to 22. And then it's going to happen to 21, then it's going to happen to 19s. You know, it's just going to keep happening. And so yeah. he said the only way that you can get around is to go by a threshold, which would be you have to check, you know, once they reach the threshold. Um, so it's mandatory reporting, um, which I think is great. Um, yeah, so we I agree can, with that. You know, get, get um, true data. And the other thing was then after the, the season, when you go into apply, I think it's January, we apply for our elk um, in Arizona, which you apply for too. Um, if you haven't turned in a harvest uh, survey, it pops up on your application. And if you don't fill it out, you can't move further in the application. It doesn't cost you anything. You're not penalized anything. Only right. penalize what you can move forward. So it would give AZ Game and Fish um, actual data of how many animals are harvested. And RIMSA just says, he goes, I think they've far overestimated how many animals are harvested. And they're either going to go to an all out draw, um, which what's been happening then is the non-residents are complaining, saying, well, that's going to push non-residents out. but. Um, the way that Rimza was explaining it, once they tallied all the—I uh, hope I get this correct—they tallied all the over-the-counter units that were purchased, and only ten mm-hmm. percent of them were purchased by non-residents anyway. And that's what ten percent of all tags in the draw of Arizona are allocated to uh, non-residents. So it's basically right. shaken out the same. But <clears throat> I would just rather it not go to a draw. Just to be honest with you, it's a neat—it's a neat opportunity in Arizona to have that over-the-counter in January, but. It, it's become more popular. I think podcasts have a lot to do with it. I mean, sure. You know, you take a look at Jay Scott's podcast. He's got, you know, he'll get fifty thousand downloads, or maybe wow. even more. I can't. Remember. It's just an astronomical amount of downloads per episode. And if he talks about the over the counter, reaches a lot of people. So, yeah. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know really how they win or or how they lose. You know, just, again, they're in between a rock and a hard place. So I hope they get it figured out.
1: Yeah, it's a good balance, and I know I listened to the episode you had with Dwayne Adams, who's a, a total legend also, yeah. and, and I know you guys were talking about that as well, and it it is a, boy, I'm glad I'm not in that role, but there are certainly, I mean, the state of Utah requires that. You can't put in for another draw until that survey's turned in at a certain point, point. and I think, um, I think they may have a 90-day threshold after or something like that. They've got a grace period where... After that, you have to pay, and it's like fifty bucks or something. I mean, it's it's you know, it's not nothing. Yeah. Um, Just as a penalty for turn, and that's unlimited entry stuff. Obviously, anything limited entry, you've got to fill out that harvest survey, and I love that. Um, Yeah. I I think I think they should all require that.
0: Well, Nevada does, New Mexico does, Utah does. Nevada, um, you are charged fifty dollars if you forget when you go to apply the next. And Mm. matter of fact. Um, I know that to be one hundred percent true because twenty fifteen is when I killed my you know my best bull of my life, and as I four, was
1: four hundred <laughs> yeah
0: when I was going to apply I hadn't done the harvest for whatever else I drew something else in Nevada uh, deer I think mm-hmm. I drew some deer in Nevada before that and I didn't do the hunt survey and so I come up oh. and I'm like oh man I got to pay fifty bucks I'm like oh well I better pay it. And luckily, because that year I drew my, <laughs> I drew my uh, Nevada bull tag, and then New Mexico, my good friend um, forgot to fill out his hunt survey, and when he went into the application process the next year, he was not able to apply. Wow. So you know, but yeah. I mean, when you're, you know, when your job, you know, as and so I, let me let me give a let me give a scolding to all the outdoorsmen out there. Just fill out your hunt survey regard it takes literally it takes five seconds online and it's done you don't have to fill it out if you fill it out and by paper you don't even need to add postage just put it back in your mailbox it's too simple and just be truthful what what he was saying was they fear that some people are worried like oh if i put i wound one or if i put i didn't get one that they're going to look be looked down upon in the draw where it has zero bearing on your ability to draw a tag it's just we need correct hunt Uh, you know harvest data
1: yeah i agree i mean i'm always i'm happy to report it i'm i'm glad when i get those i i go out of my way to try and film out because i want them to have the real data to make these decisions yeah Yep. if not to tag i want to i want to let them know if i don't i want to let them know
0: yeah and and you know you you live in a great state utah is really doing i don't know i think utah is doing it really well i think that you know from what i hear from people the the premier elk units are a little down, but it just sounds like that's everywhere across the U.S., but still a little down in a state like Utah, still really good. Um, but it seems like Utah's, the their Division of Wildlife does a, a really good job.
1: Yeah, I think they I think they have. Um, I think, like you said, the elk maybe aren't quite what they were a year or two ago, but like, like you mentioned, I think with the drought that's been going on and some of the other uh, factors that affect them, I think it's just related to that. I mean, I, don't, I think they're doing a great job managing the elk, especially. There's some deer challenges here and there, but I, you know, like, like you said, it's a very tough job. And I, you know, I, I remember not so many years ago, Utah was over-the-counter tags, and then it became units, and then it became smaller units, and, and now it's, you know, it's getting more like some of the other states around. And and there's a lot of people that have bought a general over-the-counter tag for, 30 years and they don't draw for two or three for a general tag anymore and so um you know the the hunter numbers are up uh, some of the deer herd numbers at least in the state of utah are down so i don't know what else they they could be doing but when i don't draw i just find somewhere else to go hunt for that year
0: yeah you know it's funny you say that hunter numbers are up all the reporting shows that hunter numbers are down but there is not one yeah, I don't think anybody could convince me that hunter numbers are down, even if you showed me the factual data, because everywhere I go now, there's more hunters.
1: Yeah, I think, and especially archery, and I think it's just the advent of social media. It's out there more. It's more of a. It's it's just become more of a glamour type hunt for some people. I think it. I think it's. It is so much more difficult that I think there's an attraction to that. Um, it's certainly why I, you know, pick up my bow first and always whenever i can sometimes even on a rifle hunt because i just uh i love that pursuit and the challenge and you put so much work into it that you really know that when when you do have a successful hunt and you knock that tag with your bow you really earned it i mean it's it's rare that 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 those come easy so it's uh i think it's just one of those things but yeah archery numbers are definitely every archery shop i know is, you know, three, four, five, six months out on most of the new bows. I mean, you you can't buy a new bow without waiting.
0: Yeah. You know, but if you look at Instagram, especially after me eating my elk tag this year, it didn't seem like it's that hard to kill a elk with a bow because once i came home and i didn't have one it seemed like every <laughs> individual i know that has an instagram account was killing a bull yeah. and it kept showing up in my instagram and it made me feel worse about myself
1: <laughs> yeah I, I i always feel the same way and i i didn't i didn't notch my Utah tag this year either and I, but i only hunted two full days because i was you know chasing deer and and other you know had other pursuits and had a busy year at work and with family otherwise but um, so it wasn't the season I wanted, but I definitely had amazing experiences and learned a lot and, and had a great time as I always do. So, oh,
0: yeah, me too, man. I love everything about, I love everything about hunting. You know, some people try to measure success by whether they kill an animal or they don't. And I love all of it. I love the anticipation. I love this time of year as I have the new Hoyt web Hoyt site up. I, the last podcast I did last week, I had the Matthew site up cause Matthew's released and looks like Hoyt re- just released. And I'm looking at all that. I love the sport of archery. I love new bows. I love arrows. I love broadheads. So I love the application process. I love the anticipation of if I'm going to draw. I love planning a hunt. I love packing for a hunt. I love being on the hunt. And I love it whether I'm successful or not. Now, do I always want to kill one? Yeah, of course I do. But, you know, it just doesn't always happen that way. But I don't know. I just, I was raised, you you're talking about how you're raised. I was raised and we just hunted all the time we hunted everything like when people say what's your favorite animal to hunt jp and i always tell them whatever tag i have That's <laughs> the truth yeah. i mean i love yeah. all hunting i love bow hunting but i don't mind picking up a rifle i don't really rifle hunt much i, I will because my boys want to i do have a couple of really cool long range rifles so i'd like to shoot something with them but just i usually just bow hunt but squirrel grouse rabbit a carp I mean, whatever it is, I love hunting yeah. all animals. So yeah, I, I didn't have the year I wanted either. I had, but I had some great hunts. I got to hunt Arizona elk, and learned a ton in that in mm. that six A unit. You know, and I'm I'm open about it, because um, then you know you just still got to draw a tag. And then I hunted back in Iowa and had a phenomenal Iowa bow hunt. Saw sixteen bucks in six days. But, wow! Yeah, and I've never—I don't see that many when I lived back there. When I lived in Wisconsin, I wouldn't see that many bucks in that many in that many days. But only had one mature buck that I got close enough to me, and all his tines were broke off. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding! His tines were—everyone was like <laughs> sheared right off. I'm like, wow! I can't even take a picture with that thing; it's so ugly. So I let him walk and and just uh, hung in a stand every day by myself, morning take one hour nap and then all afternoon all by myself stayed in a little motel and enjoyed every stinking moment of it so it was a blast
1: oh that's awesome yeah i'm I'm with you there i i uh i'm not a trophy hunter per se but i definitely do uh have a habit of letting a lot of animals walk but uh but no regrets when i do because i'm i'm looking for an experience and i love the meat i cherish it i absolutely I unfortunately I covet it I mean it's that it's that much of a I mean I really uh really appreciate the meat and like you said it's not just eating it I mean that's the that's the final step in the process but I like preparing it I like smoking it on the Traeger I like cutting it up and wrapping it myself just how I want and making jerky and grinding burger and you know, I'd, just every part of it, from field to plate, is uh, amazing, and so um, I think I think people that haven't figured that out, uh, you know, maybe they got other passions, but I I don't see a lot of things out there in life that could deliver that much fulfillment that actually yields a, a true benefit to your health. To your mental health i mean that's the that's probably the the biggest secret of all of this i think i think our mental health is very much sustained and improved because of these pursuits
0: and the, and the time you get to spend with you know loved ones or friends i just uh we drew let's see for this spring have a uh, january has a javelina hunt and uh, I, javelinas is literally probably close to one of my favorite i say that now but it's because i got Lena tag coming up you know and, <laughs> and i love bow hunting them well i have a january tag and then i can also in january hunt over the counter because you can shoot two if it's a different unit and i always put in for my kids and they usually have a youth hunt in the same unit pretty close to my house and this year i wanted to extend our season instead of be done in january I, I put them in for a february hunt well i screwed up and put them in for what's called a ham hunt Handgun, archery, or muzzle loader. And my boys, uh-huh. they each have bows, but they don't really shoot that much. They're so busy in sports, they don't get to shoot like I do, and they've never, they haven't picked it up as a passion as much as I have yet. And I'm not going to force it on them. You know, they love. My oldest right. boy always says, he goes, "I love hunting, Dad. I just love shooting a gun." I'm like, then that's what you get to do. But you do whatever you want. I just want you hunting. And uh, so I just told my older boy, I said, "Hey, I screwed up, and I got you the the ham hunt." handgun archery muzzle. he goes well i'll just practice with the bow i'd like to shoot with a bow i'm like oh yes and then he's 16 nice. yeah so i said to my youngest boy i'm like well what do you want to do because he was really getting into archery he goes dad i want to use your glock and i'm like okay we're we're going to glock some piggies you know so we're going to take him out with my 40 <laughs> caliber and he's going to get used to that and i'm going to try to whack a piggy with that so you know to me that's i i grew up hunting with my dad and i cherished it i loved it i always thought my dad was the greatest hunter in the world and so being able to go out with my boys and maybe one day my wife will come or my daughter maybe maybe not but for me and my boys it's man it's just so much memory and bonding and fun times eating junk food when we shouldn't but they love it so i'm gonna do it because they'll love it and come with me if i get them junk food <laughs>
1: <laughs> a little bit of bribery but- yeah yeah. Well, well, but see, to your point, that's all about the experience. So It's the same thing. My dad would let us have as much candy as we could fit in our pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so, they were, I mean, man, they were bulging like crazy, and, you know, that was that was our opportunity to, to stuff it full of butterscotch and root beer barrels, and, uh, you know, just those memories, though, I, I just cherish them, and, and you know, never forget some of those times that we had, even if we didn't kill a deer.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you typically where I live, you know, kind of right in Phoenix. So I'm right on the Peoria border. So I'm I'm really close to your uh, sister there, but, um, we got to drive, you know, it could be anywhere from hour and a half to two and a half hours to go hunting where we, where we hunt. And so my kids don't love to get up early. And if we do a day hunt, you know, it's up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. And you know, they're teenagers. They don't really love to do that. And, you know, just shamelessly, I'm like, hey, guys, I'll buy you, a, I say monster energy drink, just a rotten energy drink and donut. I'm like, I'll buy you an energy drink and donuts at the gas station. They're up out of bed. Right. They're ready to go. And I'm like, <laughs> we eat healthy. We uh, work out. I shouldn't be doing that to them. But guess what? Uh, tomorrow's not yeah. guaranteed. I mean, yeah. I, I'm right. I'm going to do what I got to do to get them to come with me. And and uh, maybe one day, you know, they'll just fall in love with it. And, and they'll be taking me out when I can't hardly walk anymore and, and uh, enjoying that, too.
1: That's awesome. Well, I'm sure they don't, I'm sure they don't regret going out with you when they have those opportunities. And of course they're only going to get more valuable to them as they get older.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when did you pick up bow hunting? I mean, were you bow hunting at a young age when your, when your dad was still alive or did you start (laughs) later in life?
1: Yeah. So unfortunately I didn't, I didn't really learn anything about it until I was in my early to mid twenties. And, um, what happened is Utah came out with this program called the dedicated hunter program. And so I only ever had a rifle. In fact, growing up, we had one rifle, so we shared it, you know. And when we got old enough to where we had two tags, we literally shared a rifle. Um, it, it seems crazy, but that's, that's just, we didn't know anything different. So um, as, as we got older and I, I started getting more serious about hunting, Some of my brothers that used to be into it, they kind of quit going. They were busy in sports and doing other things, and I just never lost a passion for it. So I kind of helped bring a couple of them back into it, so they're pretty hardcore as well. But, uh, but, But basically, Utah came out with this dedicated hunter program where you would go and, I think when it started, you would donate about 24 hours of service work towards wildlife or conservation or the Forest Service or pick up litter or whatever, whatever you could do, whatever projects they had available. Um, and then you'd pay a fee, it's like 150 bucks or something. And what they would do is they would give you this tag that would let you hunt archery, rifle and muzzle loader, and then also, you know, extended archery and anything else that was available um, with the bow hunt. And so as soon as they made that program available, I thought, well, I'm going to do that. Then I'll get a hunt more. And, you know, busy at work and I had a, had a young family at the time. So, you, you know, your time off and your availability to, to get out on the rifle hunt that I was used to, uh, you know, sometimes you had things come up, you didn't get out and hunt as much as you wanted. You only had nine days to do it. So, so basically for, for more opportunity, I bought a bow at a pawn shop and just started practicing and, and picked up archery. So, kind of on my own my father-in-law did it I had a brother-in-law that did it at the time and you know so I just kind of learned from them a little bit here and there and and I what I found the very first year and I was by that time I had killed a a few decent bucks with my rifle and so I was looking for something nice so I never I kind of skipped over that stage of you know shooting the little buck with your bow and kind of cutting your teeth and 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 basically just let a lot of small stuff pass and try to get in and make a play on big stuff but i'll I'll never forget that first year there were 36 bucks that i had in bow range and had an opportunity on that i let walk and i had never in my life seen that many deer in five seasons on the rifle hunt i just never you know you just never have that kind of an opportunity um and and so and utah you know is for ever i mean they used to call it the deer hunt holiday in school like it was opening weekend of the rifle hunt kids had like two days of school off during the week to get ready and go up camping in the mountains their family because that's that's pretty much what everybody did so um so just the opportunity to get out there to not see other people to get in close to animals to you know was a game changer for me and i just fell in love with it right away so I've been doing it ever since. Um, And probably the last seven, eight years, I got substantially more passionate about it as I've gotten older. And now I'm, you know, a little more, a little more picky about what I shoot and, you know, when I shoot, I'm not, not, not just worried about notching the tag, I guess.
0: Well, going back to when you first started, did you have somebody that was, um, you looked up to that, that got you into it, or was it just all of a sudden? You're like, ah, I should try bow hunting, or what did that look like?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, my my father-in-law um, and my and what and his oldest son, they they would bow hunt, and back then in Utah, you could actually shoot two deer with your bow, and you could also buy a rifle tag, and you could shoot one with your rifle. So my father-in-law would shoot any buck with his bow, at least the first buck. And then try and find a nice one with his rifle. And so that was kind of just the way, basically, his meat bucks were always with his bow. And he'd get them every year. And so I just started being around that. And, you know, I was newly married. I think I was 24, 25. then married a couple of years. And and uh, I just finally thought, well, I'll buy a bow and start doing So then we have a family reunion every year. And it got to be where we would look forward to shooting our bows when we were out camping and doing that and and so it became kind of a tradition and I just I just never never lost the passion for it and it's only built up more and more and more and now it's you know it's all I want to do. <laughs>
0: yeah now it's an obsession. So, do you remember the first bow that you bought what it was?
1: Yep it was so my first one was a PSE and it was at a pawn shop and it was 150 bucks and it had the quiver and the pins and everything I needed. And luckily it fit. I didn't even know what I, w- I didn't know anything about draw length. I mean, when I bought it, I, I literally picked up the bow, pulled it back. This will work. So, uh, and I shot pretty, pretty well with it, but it was the old iron sights. And that was back when, I mean, there were, they were just coming out with aluminum arrows. I mean, they're, you know, the wood arrows were still out in the mix quite a bit. <laughs> so it was, uh, it's going way back. But, yeah. Um,
0: so we're but about, yeah, I, is you're, you said you're 48, I'm 46. My first mm-hmm. bow was a PSE too, but I was young. I probably got it at 12. So hey. you'd have been like 14. Um, yeah. And it was a PSC. It had no let off. Yeah.
1: So I, much it was like, like
0: if, yeah, if it was like 40 pounds, I was pulling 40 pounds. I was holding about 45. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was terrible. Worse. Negative let off. <laughs> it basically was. Uh, that's funny.
0: Can you yeah. even imagine, as I'm looking at this site right now, I'm literally staring at the the new Hoyts. Can you just oh, yeah. imagine, the, I mean, just the technology change from year to year right now, but just go back. I have a bow in my garage, old uh, XI Intrepid. I can, name, I can name almost every bow in my progression. I get a new bow every year, but I can name almost every bow I've ever had. And I got this old XI Intrepid long. It's like 41 inches axle to axle, and, and I have it set up for a carp shooting bow, but if I shoot it, it will, like, rattle my shoulder. It would break my shoulder if I shot it. I mean, the difference yeah. in the bows is unreal.
1: Yeah. Oh, it is it is crazy. And I, I actually, so then I still have my last four bows since that one. I don't have that one. I actually gave it to one of my brothers, and he still has it. So that, that first bow I ever got is still around. But um, I got a Matthews. It's called an SQ-2. And yeah. I bought it mainly at the time, and it was a great bow. It still is, actually. I still, but it's funny to shoot it now. It's like, oh man, this thing is loud and vibrates, <laughs> and you know, it's probably a twenty-something-year-old bow.
0: But now, when but that came out, man, that was revolutionary.
1: Yeah, yeah I think it shot like three hundred and thirty some thirty-one feet per second. Or I mean, it's the fastest bow on the market. Yeah, when it hit, and That's one of the reasons I bought it, and then. Then i got the white carbon defiant which i absolutely still love i still shoot it on occasion and uh still love that bow but compared to my rx uh, my rx3 which is the next bow i got and now i currently have the rx5 um you know they they just don't compare oh well, i love the rx5 absolutely love it
0: well now that's so outdated because now there's the rx7
1: it is. I know. I don't know what to do with
0: myself. <laughs> it, it is. So last week I was I shoot a bowtech right now, um, and I have no bow affiliations, none whatsoever. People it, ask me all the time, yeah. like, "Why this?" I'm like, "Listen, I'll give you the best advice I can." Even when I was working at an archery shop and I would do sales, I'd always tell them, "If you want to buy one here, you go shoot the four or five different you know manufacturers that we have there." And don't worry about what your buddy tells you. Just find the one that fits you the best. And here's right. a prime example. My, right. my one of my best friends from Ohio, who's really gotten into bow hunting. He had, last year I had the Realm, or the mm. Revolt X it was, the, Bo, the Bowtech Revolt. And he got the identical mm-hmm. one. And he just told me the other day, he's like, man, when I pick it up, JP goes, I just, I don't like it. And he has an old Hoyt. And he goes, when I pick that up, I'd love it. And I'm like, then yeah. you gotta go get, you gotta go get a different bow. Like if you don't like the bow, you're not going to shoot it well. And he was just struggling shooting it. And he he went to an archery shop and ended up picking up a PSE, um, carbon fiber PSE, and he's in love with it and like mm. tack driver. I'm like, there's so many amazing. It, I don't think bow manufacturers really make bad bows anymore. I don't think you can really even find a bad bow with any of the manufacturers. It's just some people have a good preference. And I'm right now, I'm literally torn. Like,
1: yeah, I was yeah. really
0: set on I was going to get the new Matthews because I wanted to shoot a Matthews cuz I loved what that one looked like and then my buddy said he goes well just wait till you see the Botech release well then Hoyt just dropped these I have only shot one Hoyt and it didn't seem to fit me it was the very first carbon riser they ever had I didn't I just couldn't uh. get it to fit and so I got out and I went back to Matthews and but I'm really I hear so many amazing things about these Hoyt so I'm staring at this and then I know next week when Botech drops I have a really hard choice I'm going to shoot all three of them over and over and I'm going to shoot the PSC I'm going to shoot the Elite I just like to tinker with them. I like to play with them. I love I love bows.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. And I it's funny because I and there's people. I don't have any bow affiliation either. And people think I I might with Hoyt because I you know I love them and I'm happy to talk about it. But uh, every time that I've gone in to buy a new bow, I have I've shot the whole lineup. And if you blindfolded me, I'd just land right back where I am. So I just you know for whatever reason. That, that carbon defiant to me and it's funny because my bow shop says man those were really hard to tune and I never had any problem with it it, it was fantastic for me but then they would shoot the same bow and they, they couldn't get it to tune you know for them but obviously that doesn't matter so um, yeah I, I at the time that I felt like was the best bow on the market and then when the R, I never did get the RX3 I mean I messed around with different bows but decided I didn't want to get a new one just yet because I love my Defiant so much, and then once I shot that RX3, I'm like, I gotta have this thing. And then same <laughs> thing with the RX5. And so I I don't plan on getting a new bow this year. I I, I don't want to do that to myself again. As much as I love it, I also hate it because I you know when I just get things how I want them, uh, it seems like there's always another hunt around the corner, and I just I don't want to I don't want to jinx anything or, or mess up.
0: Well, the uh, be- best know. advice then is don't go shoot that RX7. <laughs> i mean yeah, it's, it's I like know. going and driving a new car right like i'm just going to test drive this one.
1: Oh yeah you know, they got, got the new car smell
0: and then the next time in my driver <laughs> driveway is a brand new vehicle like don't go shoot the new bow if you don't want to buy a new one don't go shoot the new one because so my buddy said to me um when matthews released i just put it on my instagram you know because matthews right. was the first release and my yep. buddy called me goes didn't you just get a new bow I'm like, dude. I'm like, yeah. I got two of the two of the new ones from last year because I got a sixty pounder because I got a bad shoulder and then my hunting one. And he's right. like, I just want to be a bow salesman in a sea of JPs. And I'm like, well, right. <laughs> that's how most our outdoorsmen are. They just they spend frivolously, and that's I don't I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do any drugs, I don't do anything. They might my stupid so spending is, your, is archery. This so is your addiction. This is yeah, my addiction. I, yeah.
1: I'm with you. I'm the same way. I know you are. I don't have those vices, but this if this is a vice, then it's the best vice that ever happened to me so it
0: really is it really moment. is um talk to me about your Elcott in Arizona. you know, we chatted a little bit, and uh I didn't really get to talk to you afterward, but i didn't I didn't hear how you did um but interested in in how that went. you had a late season tag, which those are tough those are really tough, yeah. but how did it go yeah.
1: so it it was very tough um but uh you know we did we did get into some action i mean i at the time and thank you by the way also you were super helpful and really helped me uh everything to not only from a good place to camp but just generally um, uh, just to kind of help steer me and make sure that the directions that i was planning on were were valid and good and, and you didn't lead me astray so i appreciate that um
0: that's what we're but, that's uh, the way it should be i mean that's the way our you know, you got to be a little tight lip sometimes if you got a hundred percent secret spot, but this is all public land out here and it's tough to draw tags. If I got some info, I'm going to share it with somebody, especially a guy like you, that's, you know, doing so much for the industry, just positivity wise. So for sure.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. So we, so I, uh, I went down, um, basically, I think it was probably three days before my hunt started. I set probably eight or 10 trail cameras right away. And that was the first day. You know, i glass in the morning and glass at night, and then I'd go set trail cameras, did that for the first couple days. And what, I was seeing some elk. I uh, saw a lot of a lot of coos deer, actually some pretty good bucks too, which was, that was kind of fun. Uh, I've never hunted those yet, but uh, look forward to that opportunity at some point. Um, but uh, the one thing that was really challenging, and I, I just didn't know, and I wouldn't have known when I put in for the, the hunt, but I heard they had just released like 600 extra cow tags, um, for, for that season that was just before mine. And then there was a muzzleloader hunt that went until the day before my hunt opened. And there were, I think they, I heard there were 300 tags on that. Um, and so to, to, to do a late season archery hunt, the day after a gun hunt, even if it's muzzleloader ends, definitely had the elk pretty scattered and, and skittish. And so it was really hard to, you know, find the elk. And once you did, to get close with your bow was a bit of a challenge. Um, I did do that. I did have an opportunity on some smaller bulls and spikes. And I think one herd, we counted, I think, about 80 elk. There were nine spikes that went right past where i was at you know between 30 and 60 yards um we did get we did get one bull to bugle and i i ran in i literally sprinted i actually had a camera guy down there um you know helping out and kind of filming and was hoping to have a you know really cool hunt experience to share and of course the ending isn't what i would have wanted it to be but uh but anyway we Um, we got in on this herd and I literally, I went on a dead sprint for over a quarter mile because I could see where this herd was heading and I went to cut them off and I got in what felt like the perfect place. I beat the herd to where this pinch point that they were headed to and I got ready and there they came just filing through and all these, you know, spikes and, and, um, a couple of raghorns that weren't really in my, in my shot window and then just a bunch of cows. But this big bull bugled again, and it seemed like he was coming, and he just, I don't know what he, you know, he just skirted around that opening that I had. Uh, I think it was 38 yards or something from from where I was set up and didn't have a chance on him. And then uh, that was probably the middle of the hunt, probably day four or five. And then uh, the last, and we only had this, the hunt actually ended on Thanksgiving Day. And I promised my wife that I'd be back for Thanksgiving, so i you know, I drive all night uh, on Wednesday. And so I didn't really... I didn't hunt the last day of, of my season. But uh, that last day that we were there, we actually spotted a bull just before dark, and he was a mile and a half across the canyon. You know, that steep cliff place, 300 feet deep canyon <laughs> yeah, type I stuff. Do. He was on the other side, and we used Onyx, and we took pictures and annotated on them and then we we basically tried to pinpoint where we thought that bull was and we went back uh, back there the next morning. It was about 16 and a half miles of the most rugged, nasty dirt road. I can't believe it, but um, we, we took about, I think we got up at 4.30 in the morning, took us almost three hours to get over to where we thought that bull was and we got in there and we ended up getting within twenty yards of where that bull was. We found that exact spot all the way a mile and a half away as a crow flies and all the way across this canyon and we were standing right there um, using Onyx and spotting scopes and our and our our phone cameras. and um, i did I didn't have a lane. he He busted and I didn't get a chance on him. We guessed where he we thought he would go, and we guessed right. So we we hiked a couple miles around and about, and went to this place, and we ended up getting within probably thirty yards of that bull again, and didn't have didn't have a shot, didn't have an opportunity. And then that time when he busted, he went uh, he went down this little teeny funnel. There was this deep canyon, and there was one funnel that that you, one corridor, maybe 150, 200 yards wide that he could have gone down. We felt like he went there, so we, you know, worked our way over and glassed and looked and looked and looked, and we were there probably an hour and a half just trying to pick everything apart, and we ended up finding him, and this was, he was a six by seven. He's a pretty, pretty good bull, a little bit broken up, but, but, um, you know, a shooter for sure that season, and, um, you know, mature herd bull, and, um, I, the closest I could get to him was about 120 yards. And then he ended up taking off. And so we, you know, same thing, tried to figure out, okay, where could he have gone? And anyway, basically we spent the rest of the afternoon trying to find him again. And we, we got within probably 30 yards of him again. And I, I never had a lane. It was these thick pinion juniper trees that were, I think that's what they call them.
0: Yeah. That sound right. Yep. Yep.
1: And so, uh, that, that was my best chance at really killing a good bull. Um, we had one other, one other six by seven, a really good bull that ran right in front of us in the Jeep, um, uh, probably 20 minutes before shooting light. And so we pulled off and waited for it to get light enough and tried to go and relocate him. but we never did turn him up again. But basically I saw three bulls that were worthy of, you know, that would, that would be a, a, a nice bull to take even you know any unit and uh that that one bull that we got those chances on was really the the only real opportunity at anything mature and it just didn't end up working out so um but we you know hunted very hard i think we averaged about 13 to 14 miles a day and i had a brother and and another buddy that came down and helped too um so there were uh, there were anywhere from two to four of us um for at least half that hunt and then um you know it was all new country i'd never been there i e-scouted the heck out of it i used uh i've taken that uh, mark livesey's treeline pursuit course it's fantastic and yeah amazing value that's the e-scouting
0: and, stuff isn't it
1: yes yeah you yeah, know and it, it's amazing but uh the one thing that was interesting um uh, you know and i don't know if others have experienced the same thing but you know, I'm doing all the sea scouting and I find these great feeding areas and these places that I think are just fantastic. And and when I got there and boots on the ground at that time of year, you know, there wasn't a lot of feed. And what was happening was we, uh, those elk were feeding on those, uh, pinion berries and those were everywhere. Huh. So it really didn't, I mean, it, it almost appeared to hardly matter what was on the ground. They were, they were eating out of these trees and we saw every herd we saw you know we saw a lot of elk um cows and calves and spikes um pretty much daily we saw elk and got in close you know within a couple hundred yards at least of elk but that just didn't didn't find any any good bulls other than the ones that i just talked about so um so that made it really difficult because you know that late in the year they're not rutting they the the bull the big bulls are broken off pretty much so you're like hunting a big whitetail is pretty much what's happening and then you know the feeding areas that you would normally see it felt like they were just eating those pinyon berries and they were everywhere it didn't matter you know they were just going to be where they had good cover and, and just pluck those things off
0: so. yeah you're really hunting a really tough time i mean that unit that you hunted gets so many tags it's unreal um yeah. how many tags they give away on that unit. So you're at the very tail end of it. So those those they got archery hunted early, then they got cow hunted, and then they got muzzleloader hunted, then late season hunted. And it was a really tough year with the drought too. Really stressed. We just happened to be in that unit right before that with a, a cow hunt um
1: uh-huh.
0: for my son. And so it worked out good where I was able to, you know, we it was funny because it was October 9th his cow hunt started, and mm. bulls were bugging all over the place. All night long yeah. around us. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And by, by the time we'd wake up and have daylight, they had, you know, the cows put or the bulls would push the cows into the timber. And uh, we couldn't. And they shut up. You know, they shut up about an hour before daylight. So maybe even longer than that. But they'd bugle all night long. And when he shot his one cow, um, there was two nice bulls bugling right in that spot. I'm like, this is crazy. And then, then uh, I think I, we seen each I seen that you were hunting sick or the uh, elk late season elk and i don't know if we or maybe you asked if i had any intel or you're gonna be down i can't remember how it worked out but i'm like well shoot here's where you got to go man their bulls were bugling they're like crazy not that long ago so hope it worked out but that's gotta be a tough bow hunt it really does
1: yeah you were your your intel was fantastic in fact i camped exactly where you where you recommended <clears throat> and it was a great spot and that huge meadow that was you know in the center of all that all the, you know there were roads around the perimeter yep. but that huge meadow in fact, there were there was a herd of antelope that lived in there and would run from one side to the other all the time. That was kind of fun. to yep. kind of watch those things. But the elk, and so I set cameras on every one of those. Uh, and like you said, half of the half of the tanks were dry. Yeah. But the the ones that weren't, I set cameras on, and that was the other thing that was interesting. I never once out of ten cameras, I never had a six point or even a five point bull hit any of the cameras during the daylight whatsoever i mean it was like the the few that i got maybe three different herd size bulls total on 10 cameras in a week wow plus and they were they were all in the dark
0: and yeah, so a lot we of just, pressure. the
1: elk were not out during the day
0: yeah
1: um, they've been chased a little we too went. much <laughs> Yeah. And I, I, you know, that's one of those things that you learn. I mean, I wouldn't know that. I I mean, you wouldn't find that doing any research that, that, you know, you just have to go and experience it. Yeah. um,
0: Would you put in for that? Would you put in for a late archery in Arizona? again? You know,
1: um, I think I'll put it this way. Uh, That unit, I I feel like I learned it pretty well for the time that we had. I mean, we, we put on a lot of boot miles and a lot of truck miles. And so I learned a lot, I think I'd have two or three times as good a chance on that same season again if there was a next time but but I also think, I mean I I drew it with zero points, that was the other thing oh, wow. so I was like well geez you know, yeah, it's not costing me anything on points or I might as well, I didn't want to shoot a spike or a, a little raghorn and I could have done that so I mean in that regard I mean really it wasn't that there wasn't some opportunities to fill my tag, but I just I just didn't have an opportunity on anything that I wanted to to take. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, you can't argue with the late season draw odds in Arizona. They're they're pretty good. It's just challenging. It's a little more challenging because you know they're not bugling typically, and it's harder to find them. So I mean, next time you'll next time you'll whack one. That was kind of what I learned in my unit is first time in that unit, um, that I had my elk tag in and man, i learned so much. So I'm so excited to get that tag again and I can get it quite often, uh, quite a bit, mm-hmm. you know, more often than I can some of the premier units. But,
1: um. yeah, I, I think I would have a heck of a great time during a rut hunt of any kind in that unit. I mean, I, I learned it really well and I didn't have any, that was the other thing. I didn't feel like I had any, uh, inhibitions or physical limitations whatsoever to get anywhere I wanted and so that was nice to be able to just own it, whatever, whatever it is, let's go, whatever we see, we're going to, we're going to get it. And so I think that was also, a, you know, something that would, would give me more confidence in going back now, because it's like, I, you know, I think I hunted some of the toughest parts of that place and, and it, I thought it was fantastic. I just didn't find enough help.
0: Yeah, no, you really did. And, and, you know, really it's not bad terrain you just got some big canyons you work around a little bit but the rest of it is not bad at all it's really a really a good unit and you know sometimes hunting arizona elk is a little bit unfair compared to other places other states you got to hunt them where it's just giant mountains and tough you know back-breaking hikes and stuff arizona is not really like that i mean when i first hunted here and i drew my first tag in 2014 my first year i moved here i drew a premier unit unit one and the guy told me, Dwayne Adams told me, he goes, it's going to be hunting like a golf course at 9,000 feet, JP. <laughs> and it was. Uh, I mean, it was yeah. logged off, and the grass was green and up to my ankles, and it was flat. It was 9,000 feet, but it was just flat. I'm like, yeah. and there were elk everywhere. I mean, when you hunt Arizona, and obviously, if you ever experience a rut hunt here, you'll, you'll see. Late season is not a good comparison, but the rut hunts here in Arizona you get into some of these units and i'm telling you it's unlike any other place you'll ever hunt unless maybe you're on a um you know a ranch not a high, you know a ranch that somebody right. you, that you can hunt where there's very limited pressure um, right. but most other states i've hunted it's just it, it just doesn't even compare there's so many elk mm. so many opportunities i mean this this year in my September elk hunt we went from Bugling bull, to bugling bull, all day, every single day. There was maybe wow. one day where they weren't bugling, and you know that makes me sound like a terrible hunter because I didn't kill one, but I passed on a few, and then just you know had the elk, you know, luck things that didn't go right my way, and you know that that kind of right. stuff. But I mean, it was just I've been on hunts where seven days, and we're lucky to see an elk or see, hear mm-hmm. a bugle in Arizona it's just not that way. It's just it's just tough to get tag if you're. Um, you're, you know, if you're a resident, even it's tough to get a tag, even as a resident, but they got to protect it and, uh, keep the, keep the numbers up.
1: Yeah, I think, and, and this goes back a long time, but, uh, gosh, maybe 15 years ago, I went down there, my brother had a javelina tag and we went down to Globe, Arizona, um, yep. and, and hunted, you know, chased javelina there. But you know, what was amazing about the whole hunt? was that and he got one um uh, he had a buddy there that, that got one too and and uh man the beauty of the desert and just how incredible now everything's sharp and wants to poke you and make you bleed but but uh, you i had never really spent a lot of time in the in the desert like that you know we just we don't have desert like that in utah and so or at least you know not that i've hunted um but uh, but it was amazing to to just go and experience that. And we uh, the other thing we loved, we took our shotguns and we hunted quail during the day and doves, and then you know and then javelina at different times. And so we were you know basically uh, ringtail cats and all kinds of really cool. Is that the Quarter Monday? Is that the same thing?
0: Yeah, Quarter Monday. Yep.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, just it was just so fun, and it almost felt like we were hunting in an an exotic place compared to what i'm used to so so just it was a great experience and and i was really excited to get back on that hunt this last year and and, uh you know i can't wait to get back
0: people say that all the time like when i tell my move from wisconsin to arizona and they're like so you hunt i'm like yeah what do you hunt in arizona i'm like oh man you have no idea like it is the (laughs) hunt and mecca you just wouldn't think that if you don't know much about hunting, or the desert, like you were saying. But, yeah, I always said that when I moved out here. Everything pokes, burns, bites, or stings. Everything. Yeah, right.
1: Doesn't matter where you
0: are. <laughs> I mean, and in the summer here in Arizona, if you touch that metal clip on your seatbelt when you get into your car a little oh, bit early, yeah. that thing will brand you. Like, you don't need tattoos in your arms. You'll get a seatbelt brand. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I, lo- I love it out here. God has blessed the desert, uh, and, and he's, he's blessed these yeah. animals to be able to survive when you want to talk about hunting, and every, it doesn't matter, every state, you know, if you hunt north, they've got to survive those harsh, harsh winters. And it's mm-hmm. it's the reason I got to listen to Randy Ulmer one, one year speak at a, um, was it the Pope and Young Convention, I think? I think it was the Pope and Young Convention. Randy Ulmer spoke. And I went and listened oh. to him. and I took I took like a notebook full of notes. I mean, obviously proven, you know, guys, God's gifted him with a bow in his hand. Um, yeah and uh, he was talking about why arizona utah nevada and new mexico have the largest elk and he said everybody hmm. from montana wants to argue in colorado and, and wyoming he Goes, i'm not I'm, He goes, i'm just looking at the record book he's because they don't have to survive those harsh winters it's a dry hmm. desert winter so when you look at the you know northern montana northern wyoming and you know colorado yeah. some of those areas it gets so much winter it's so stressed and it, you know anytime we see a drought it affects their antlers. So if you're you're stressing them with cold and food, it's going to affect their antlers. And they have that winter to deal with every year. We just don't. So you get some great bulls here too. And you get into Nevada and man, it's over with. If you're lucky enough to ever get a tag there, man, it's over with. You see some giant bulls. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And I remember, I I mean, as a kid, I remember we would get snowdrifts up and over the car. I mean, it, it was very different, a different weather pattern than what we're dealing with now. I mean, it's I I bought a brand new snowblower I think three years ago, and I have not I I could probably count on one hand the number of times I needed to pull it out and use it. I mean, it, we just don't get the same winters that we used to when when I was younger. So I think it's it's gotten even more favorable to to the elk.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really has. Well, let's talk some fitness, man. There's no way I can let you off this thing without talking <laughs> fitness because. Uh, to, to the listeners, go to uh, and I'll tag his uh, Instagram in here. All you're going to realize is if you follow Mike, you'll you'll realize you're not doing enough. <laughs> That's every time I see you, you're bubbling in positivity. You either have a hundred pounds on your back mowing your lawn, or you're running, lifting, biking, or shooting. And I know you got the the, the December Chub challenges going on right now, but you're also doing the 75 hard. I don't know how many other programs you can fit in a day, but it seems like you're doing them all. So, like, when did your your love? Has it? Have you always had a love for fitness, um, passion for that, or is that is that you know has that come on in your early adult years as well?
1: So yeah, I mean, I uh, probably like you and a lot of guys. I mean, I love sports in high school. I I loved football. I you know hit the weights there. I've always been uh, inclined to try and and be in good good shape, but more importantly in my mind, it was always, I want to be strong. And so, um, but, but I would say, and it's, it's interesting. There's almost an alignment with my passion for archery As that got more ramped up. Uh, my attention to my fitness really, really became elevated. And it, it's funny you ask that because the moment that I realized, okay, I got a problem and I've got to, I've got to change some things up and do something about it. I was on a deer hunt I just shot this, uh, about a three-year-old buck. I mean, it was just a three-point, should have been a four-point, but it was a pretty good buck. And it was in a really steep terrain area uh, near Mount Tipinogos. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this area, but... Um, Not really. You know, r- real steep mountain. And uh, anyway, I go running up to try and get to, to this deer, and I was probably 30 pounds overweight. And I just, yeah, I was huffing and puffing and lightheaded and... And I I get up there to my deer and he's deader than a doornail. I mean, just absolutely, you know, he died instantly when I when I shot him this was with a rifle. And uh, I I was so winded and lightheaded and just felt like garbage and I I couldn't do anything for probably ten minutes. I just had to like catch my breath and just stop. I'm high elevation. I was probably ten thousand feet and you know putting in this great effort and had the adrenaline and and all the, and I just, I just sat there on this log next to my buck and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I can't even enjoy this moment. Like I've ruined this moment because I feel like junk. And so I, you know, I literally like slapped my forehead with my hand and I said, you know, this is stupid. Like I'm, I'm kind of ticked that um, that I've let myself get out of shape enough that I can't enjoy every aspect of this experience in this moment, because this is what I really am passionate about. And so I decided I was going to start running and my wife, she's been into fitness her whole life. She's literally been running for 25, almost 30 years now straight. I mean, just always, always in shape. And, uh, you know, she would try and get me to come running and I loved sports like her, I mean, especially baseball. Um, but, uh, love football and basketball and baseball and softball and, you know, anything with a ball and where I get to chase somebody or I get chased, love tackling and hitting people and, you know, roughhousing. And so, um, but I never, I never really liked running just to run. I mean, I'd ran track in like junior high, but I was into the sprints, never did distance running. But I thought, well, I need to start running and get in shape so that I don't, I don't feel like I'm never going to let myself get to the point where I feel like this during a hunt the rest of my life. And I finally, you know, and we all say things like that. I had said things like that before. And sometimes they stick for a little while and more often than not, they don't, but I was committed to it. So I, um, I set a goal that, okay, I'm going to start getting ready to, to run all next year. I mean, it's like late October, almost November at this point. And I basically, um, started running, uh, the first part of January and I had a goal. I was going to run 250 miles by Easter. And the day before Easter Sunday, it was, uh, a Saturday. I finished my run and I was 256 miles. And so I, I passed that record or that goal. And, and, you know, um, I felt like, you know what? I can do this. Like I'm kind of a runner now. And, um, I, I had a couple rules for myself. The first one was no matter what, even if I have to walk to catch my breath or whatever, it doesn't even matter. I'm not going to worry about the time, but I will never stop. I've got to keep moving. I will have to keep moving. And as long as I do that, I'm happy with these miles and I'll feel good about achieving this. And, and I, so I did that. And then I felt like, well, now what am I going to do? Um, I did this, now what else am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm doing the math. It's been almost, you know, a little over three months. By times that, by four, you know, 250 miles times 1,000 miles. So I set a goal at that moment that I'm going to run the rest of this year and I'm going to be at 1,000 miles before the year's up. So I went from zero running to that. And uh, anyway, not to belabor the story, but basically – I achieved that, um, I actually ran a marathon in June of that year, um, I'd never run even a 5k officially, uh, and I, I achieved that, and then, um, I got to the end of the year, and about the middle of December, I was at like 980 something miles, and I start running, I, it was late at night, I couldn't sleep, so I thought, I'm just gonna go jump on the treadmill in the exercise room. So I went in there and I started running and I'm feeling pretty good. And I was, it's funny. I was actually, I was listening to Cody rich with the rich outdoors podcast on my iPad. And then I was watching some born and raised outdoors. I'm just, you know, immersing myself in this hunting stuff. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, enjoying just this experience that, uh, you know, I had achieved by getting my fitness in order and, um, feeling like, like, you know, I wasn't going to let anything get in my way of having a better experience hunting and in the outdoors and in the high country that I love. And, um, basically I got to, I'm looking at my, at my watch and I realized, man, I've, I've gone like 12 miles tonight and I'm like, well, I still feel pretty good. I'm just going to keep going. So then I get looking at... <sighs> while I'm, while I'm on the treadmill, I'm looking at how many miles I have left. and I thought, Oh crap, I better stop. Cause I don't want to get my thousand miles tonight on the treadmill. And so I did the math really quick and I stopped when I was 999.9 miles. And then I thought, okay, I got to think about how I'm going to achieve this goal. I've got two weeks to do it. What am I going to do? I think it was like a Wednesday, um, early morning by like three in the morning when I finished this run. And, uh, so I'm thinking about it the next day or two. And then I realized, well, I know what I need to do. I'm just going to run a marathon to achieve this. So I didn't even tell my wife, I just said, Hey, I'm going to go on a little longer run, you know, this Saturday. So she had no idea. So I actually got up at like four in the morning and I went and I took, um, like protein bars and Gatorades and, you know, different snacks, jellies, gummies, Um, and I, I plotted a a route that I wanted to run on and I ditched some of this stuff about every five or six miles along the way. And so that when the sun came up and I was getting ready to start my run that I didn't have to carry all this stuff and worry about, you know, hydration and all these other things that I would just focus on, you know, running this marathon. So anyway, long story short, I ran that. I finished it. Um, it was fantastic. I felt great. Felt like I could run ten more miles when I was done with it, and, and so I, I ran, you know, a thousand and twenty-six plus miles um, by that time, and and I've never stopped since. I mean, that was in that was in twenty fifteen. Dang. So so that was that that moment, and and I and honestly, it was about getting in shape for archery being more healthy enjoying not just you know those experiences in the mountain but just life without the discomfort of being overweight and unhealthy and and uh, you know i've got some extra pounds right now i'm working those off with this 75 hard but but my cardio fitness and the shape that i'm in physically even at 48 is i feel better than i did when i was 30.
0: yeah yeah well, that's crazy. I, I gotta imagine that while you're running that uh, all those miles in that marathon, your dad's uh, lessons of uh, mind over matter probably popped in there somehow, you know?
1: Yeah, they they certainly did, and I I definitely yeah I've drawn on that since. I mean, it, he he was a major motivator. It was incredible at, at had a gift at that, and I I think I got some of that gift. and And like you say, I mean, I think of that often. And, and it's it's just a mind shift, right? It's a mental battle. It's not even physical. I mean, it's 90% of it plus is mental, I, I truly believe.
0: Yeah, I'm well, 100% I believe it. So, uh, 75 Hard, how's it going? I mean, I know it's, I've watched a lot of people do it. Um, and I know this, it's a lot of work and a lot of discipline. So, how's it going?
1: Uh, it's going fantastic. Um, I, today is day 10. Um, I actually finished everything on every one of my daily things, uh, the earliest I have yet actually wanted to be done before we jumped on the podcast here. And, uh, you know, normally I run a little later, I do something later, it's in the dark or whatever, but, uh, or I'll hit the home gym in the basement, you know, on the weights for, for just under an hour. But, uh, for those that don't know, you have to have two workouts every day. And they got to be separated by three or four hours at least. And so really two totally different sessions and one of them must be outside. And so um, that's another reason I chose this time of year to do it. I chose to do it. This is totally, I'm a, I am such a food nut. I love food. I, I love good food. It's uh you know, I like making it. I like, I, I make some amazing cinnamon rolls and, You know, I I do some things like that. I'll make them on the Traeger. I do homemade pizza. And there's so many things that I love about a good meal. And um, I thought, you know, if I'm going to make this as hard as possible, it needs to land over Christmas, Thanksgiving, all these parties. I want to do it when, you know, my brain's telling and screaming at me, you have no business doing this right now. Can't you do it later after all this stuff? And so I've been to two parties this year already, and I'm sitting in the corner eating broccoli while they're pounding
0: cookies. <laughs> you're thinking about <laughs> what you're going to do when you get home for a workout, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I am, but but it is it in these short ten days, um, it's amazing the mind shift that's already happened. And yeah, there's been some. I'm I've lost nine pounds in ten days. Wow. Um, and I'm eating well. I I mean I feel like I'm still eating more than I need to, as far as total consumption but it's just balanced and never in my life so i i have always cared about you know i mean w- when it comes to like baseball or i mean i played adult pit fast pitch baseball till my early 30s like i just never let go of that because i just loved it so much i coached a team for five or six years and um we'd have double headers on saturdays it was five or six hours of baseball and you know if i'm out on the basketball court you know i'm you know out running the 20 year olds. And I I did that before, but it about killed me every time, and I paid for it every time. And now it's just, uh, you know, this is a different way of living. So this th- this mental toughness that I'm always trying to work on and trying to build has blessed me in so many other ways than than just, you know, okay, I can move more iron or I can run up a trail that might be steep or difficult or, or whatever else. I mean, the, the benefits are... Endless, and, and most of them aren't physical.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, and it's, it's funny because you're doing it because I mean, when you say this, it sounds so goofy. Well, um, if I tell somebody it, it sounds so goofy. Like, of course, I want to be in shape. I want to honor the body God's given me. I, I want to do that. I want to, I want to age as gracefully as I can. And you know, as I'm getting older, I'm watching a lot of things fall apart, and you know, things are harder to do, and recovery is harder to do, and all that stuff. I get it, but. I don't want to slow down. I don't, I, you, you look at the same people that, I, I mean, if I, if I give you some names of people uh, that I knew, I could explain them, you know, you take a 67-year-old guy who's lethargic, broke down on every medication in the world, and used mm-hmm. to love hunting and now does nothing. And then you take another 67-year-old right next to him who's still out hiking three, four miles a day, lifting weights, hanging in a tree stand, shooting white tails and shooting elk and all that stuff. That's the guy that I want to be. Lord willing, yeah. if he lets me, gives me tomorrow, I want to be able to do this. thing. I have a passion. And so when I'm working out, I think about that all the time. Like, I would never want to get to a point when I'm in hunting and I'm too out of shape to go over the next ridge. I mean, mm-hmm. I pride myself on being in good shape. I don't want to be proud of it because, I, you know, sometimes the Lord will take that away. But I want to be disciplined in working on it because I want to re- represent my, my wife well. I want to represent my kids well. I want to represent my father well. I want to represent my Lord well and i want to you know i want to enjoy my hunt i don't want to go out there and suck wind and hurt and be like oh i could have shot that bull but you know he was over that he was another 500 yards away and i couldn't make it i want to be like hey i'm gonna go 500 i'm gonna go a thousand i'm gonna go three thousand i'm gonna go eight thousand if that's what i have to do and it's not going to be my fitness that's going to stop me i mean i just you get into it, and it's it's uh, it's it becomes a, a, another obsession, you know? I'm, I'm obsessed with working out, too. I love it. I love every aspect of it, and I like to try to look good, although that gets harder and harder the older you get. <laughs> I eat one cookie, and now all my joints hurt. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's crazy. So Yeah, um, I
1: think I think the biggest thing, you know, when I mean, you talk about mental toughness, I think for me so far, I mean, I make notes every day, and I, I'm kind of doing some other things on my own, with this 75 hard challenge that I feel like will help me. I mean, they have like some other steps and, you know, take a cold shower. I've, I've been doing that even though it's not a part of this phase that I'm in, I'm just doing it. Cause I think it's a good idea. And I've never really tried that before. I'm enjoying freezing for five minutes, you know, and, and looking forward to it now. Right. Yeah. Um, I enjoy, I enjoy now, it's a game almost, even though it's, you know, it's, it's for a bigger purpose, but I'm gamifying tracking my macros and I've never done that before. So this is kind of fun to find what foods are going to make me hit the exact protein without going over on carbs and make sure I have enough calories and, you know, and not too many fats. And I mean, my goal every day is to hit those numbers. Perfect. I want that green check. I want to, I want to, I want to exceed, and achieve everything that I set out to do um, plus some. And so I think um, I think just that way of living, I'm not talking about just exercise or the way I hunt. It's This is about how you live and the person that you are becoming. And I think that we're all here to become the greatest potential that we can be. And we've been given gifts that can help us to achieve that. But often our... That natural man, who is an enemy to God, uh, in, in every in every facet, is is what we've got to overcome. The natural man wants to eat the cookies because they taste great. Uh, the natural man doesn't. we want to sit on the couch because it feels better than you know running. Um, until you've done it, until you've tasted that, until you've achieved something doing it and overcome it, and now because I choose to run even if i don't have to i actually love it i enjoy it i think it's great i want to i want to do these things it's not i'm not being forced because i'm doing 75 hard i'm choosing to do them because i want to and it's completely on purpose i choose to not have that cookie or that cake and ice cream at the at the party and so there's it's so empowering to overcome those things that my brain is telling me those Comforts that we're so accustomed to and so blessed, especially in this country, where you know the average person's overweight, you know,
0: yeah, I'll tell you um something I learned that really, really helped me, I'm not a big guy into motivation, although I love motivation, I love motivational speakers, some are really good, I love watching little motivational clips and you know, in an in a old line of work I used to be in, there was a lot of motivation, a lot of speaking, had to speak a lot and speak to large groups. And, and uh, you know, it was really, you could get somebody to motivate you and feel good. But the, the difference to me was true inspiration. Um, mm. And I have a little saying, inspired people inspire people. And mm. I ended up, I was never a big Tony Robbins fan because I just didn't understand him. And I ended up, somebody told me to watch his Netflix documentary called I'm Not Your Guru. And Mm. I watched it, and it was it mesmerized me. It was pretty cool. I kind of had Tony a little bit wrong. There's a lot more to him than just, you know, he's a motivational speaker. He does a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, obviously, he gives money like there's no tomorrow. It's pretty cool stuff. But in it, he talked about every home that he has, which are many. He has many homes. (laughs) Um, He has a cold plunge at every one of the houses except one. And that house had like a a spring-fred... mountain stream coming through so probably 52 degree water maybe even colder every day he jumps in that thing and he said the reason he did it was so that he can command and demand his brain to do what he wants it to do not what his brain wants to do because his brain wants to do just what you said it wants to eat the cookie wants to sit down and watch tv it wants to not run it wants to be lazy it wants to take the easy way out the shortcuts and in my mind i'm like man that's what i want to do i mental toughness to me is telling my mind telling my body and my my brain to do what i want it to do because i know what i want it to do but i can be overridden so i started three years ago um doing this arizona cold pool therapy thing and in in mm-hmm. arizona our pools because most house have a pool our, our house has a pool it starts to take on the average nighttime temperature so about mid uh, about october It starts to be about 56, 57 degrees. But like now, my pool right now is 47 degrees. After every single workout, I walk out into my pool, I set my timer, I completely submerge into it, and I sit up to my neck for 10 minutes. And I don't don't want to do it at all. I never want to do it. Not one single day do I ever be like, I can't wait to get in there. I hate it. But (laughs) it's just what you talked about. It's that commanding my brain to do what I want it to do and I've made a decision and I'm victorious over it for the day Mm -hmm. and for me you know busy life you got I got family I got kids like you got a business it's it's go 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 there's a lot of pressure you know put food on the table you know get the bills paid do all these kind of things there's a lot of pressure in in I got to strengthen my mind if I don't you know I'm gonna fall apart and so I'm trying to find those things hard hard workouts that really challenge me to um, overcome you know I don't want to do them but once I'm done I've overcome it once I get out of that pool I've overcome I'm freezing to death but I've overcome it and made a good decision for the day so I can always say I don't know what's gonna happen the rest of the day but man I'm victorious today because I got in that pool soaked for 10 minutes and got out and uh, so it's a really cool documentary if you've never seen it it's uh, got some cool stuff for some uh, mental type stuff in it just what you're doing right now
1: I will check that out and I do I like you I mean I way back when I listened to the whole Tony Robbins CD set and yeah I, I uh I love a lot of the things that he does and I believe in his approach uh for sure so I'm I like Ed Milat he's another great one yeah if you follow Ed
0: but, I don't follow uh, him but I've, uh, I've watched quite a bit of his stuff so yeah hey what book are you reading I know you guys got to read 10 pages a day I think is one of the things Right?
1: Actually, it's fu- it's funny. I just barely today finished uh, a book called Max Out, and it's the one. It's the first book that uh, I think it's the first book that Ed Milet wrote, and it's fan- it's fantastic. It's an easy read. It's not. I don't even think it's a hundred pages, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a really really fascinating read. He he just kind of outlines some of these same types of of areas of your life and and some approaches that. Uh, aren't necessarily new, but the way that he words them and relates them, it really, really hits home. And Yeah. I Very much enjoyed that. Are you a
0: big reader typically?
1: Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I mean, I read, I read, uh, you know, like the scriptures regularly, but as far as, I mean, I'll read probably five or six books a year, usually something motivational, inspirational, something personal development of some sort. Um, and when I get into it, usually then I'm, into it for a while and then I'll get busy and I don't read as much as I probably should and you know and then I'll go three or four months without really doing much and then I'll pick up a book again I'll
0: think, tell you, oh, why am I
1: not doing this every yeah. day, you know? I'm I'm hoping this habit sticks for me. Yeah. To where I just, you know, I plan to make it a regular habit to read at least ten pages. I, I, I really like that.
0: I started, um man, it'd be eight, ten years ago, I got turned on to a book I'm looking at it right now called Warrior Soul and uh mm. it was a navy seal book and then i went to the lone survivor i read that then i you know american sniper and i have plowed through literally every single navy seal book i think there's ever been written wow and i will tell you if you want to get good reads i'll send you some of my my reading list that i've had um, oh i'd
1: love that it, it
0: mesmerizing we talk about inspirational and what mental toughness I'm looking at a book right now Special Operations Mental Toughness sitting over on my bookshelf right now Um, and what they do and what they overcome and how that. I mean we're talking about superheroes you know our special forces and I I love our American I love military I'm so appreciative of anybody that's ever served in our military i never did and i always say i have a sliver of guilt that i never did and so i want to appreciate them because i can't go hunting if they didn't fight for our freedoms you know but as i read those books it would for i would go running i would do cold plunges i would do just crazy things because i was so inspired by what they could overcome that it was you know it was kind of like watching and you know people on instagram that you watch that you just run these Run or lift or all that stuff. You're so inspired by what the human mind and human body can do. And I have a, I have a whole list of really good books. I'll send over to you. Because to me, it was always about you know back in my old endeavors, a different business I had. It, reading was really encouraged, and they always said you know readers are leaders, and leaders are readers, and. And I got it, but a lot of leadership books that they brought out were on facts and statistics. And I'm like, I just can't read that stuff. And then yeah. I got into, if I'm going to read leadership, I'm going to read on real humans doing something that most other humans can't do. And I just stumbled on some Navy SEAL stuff, and uh, it, just, it just blows me away. Every book I still read on them just blows me away. So, really, it makes it easy to read 10 pages a day
1: yeah well i it's like uh david goggins book can't hurt me yeah it's, uh, i mean a little, little rough on the language but uh wow he's uh quite quite the example of human endurance and overcoming challenges like it's hard to believe
0: you ain't kidding so. you ain't kidding man well man you've been awesome to talk to mike i've had you on for an hour and a half and it's late where you are um, that just—it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit more, and and I want to share your story with other people. I think you—I I really do. I, and I mean this a hundred percent and wholeheartedly. You just exude. I was going through your your Instagram page stories again, or your page just before we got on. And I'm like, everything you do is positivity. I don't see you ever being negative, not towards politics, and it's easy to do. I've gotten in that mud game before, and or at people maybe that you don't ever talk about haters you don't talk about anything just positivity of always leading by example in that game like exercise shooting and positivity so you're just a positive positive force and i'll tell you we live in a dark world you know this i mean you just turn on the news and this darkness there's not a lot of positivity around us so just guys like you i you know i couldn't wait to get you on and just hear more about you what makes you tick what makes you do the things you do and and uh, you're just a world-class human. So I wanted to get you on here and, and have you share your story. And I'm I'm really honored. I really am that you said yes. It, it means a lot to me that you would take time out of your family and, and jump on here with me and, and share your story. And I, and I can't wait to share it and, and get the feedback from people.
1: Well, I really appreciate it, JP. And, and I do look forward to connecting again. We have an opportunity. I know. I was trying to... Recruit you to get to that elk-shaped camp coming up in Utah. I know it. Really
0: I know <laughs> it. You know, my but, biggest hang-up is I have a shoulder that is literally, I haven't touched my bow since um, a little bit before Iowa. I was doing just enough shooting to make sure I could hit a whitetail at like 20 to 30 yards, but I have my, my bow arm shoulder is like, I don't know what I have to do with it. I'm, I'm trying so many different things. I think I think I just have to go get surgery, and that's oh what I that's what I don't want to do. Um and so the challenge is if I was to switch and shoot left-handed my left eye is so bad <laughs> this is so great so crazy uh-oh yeah my left eye is so bad i can't really see out of my left eye i'm very right eye dominant and i have i have a eye condition called keratoconus so i won't get into it but my left eye I have eye is- the same one <laughs> okay so, so my left yeah. eye is um pr- not progressing well it's actually going to op- it's it's deteriorating very uh-huh. fast so you know you know i'm just in a i'm in a very rough spot so i'm looking at i i do i was Crossfitting mainly and now i'm doing um only two days of crossfit but um, hardly any of the movements i'm doing more functional bodybuilding i can't really throw my kettlebells the way i used to i'm still really limited on so many things i can do because of my shoulder right now so i got one guy monkeying with it says he can help me and yeah, you know, it's just one of those things that I, I, like I said, I pride myself in staying in really, really good shape and all that. But this just came kind of on, and and it just I couldn't get it to, it just progressed the the pain and deterioration of my shoulder just deterior- happened really fast. So I don't know.
1: Dang, well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's got to be no fun, and I know that's that's always a part of it. You definitely got to be careful, and you don't want to you don't want to risk being healthy for your hunts coming up either, for sure. Yep. If you can help it.
0: Yep. So. so. But,
1: but, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun, and and uh, I look forward to continuing our friendship and find an opportunity to connect up when we have a chance to again.
0: Absolutely, buddy. Well, well. God bless you, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll connect. We'll absolutely connect. I can't wait to meet you in person, and, and one day we'll share a hunt on the mountain. I, I believe that.
1: Sounds good, brother. I look forward to it, and uh, thanks again. Appreciate okay. you. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. Kiss you. Bye.